Great morning, Myers Park. And happy Pride Sunday. Can we thank God for Pride Sunday this morning? Amen. I admit it's not often that in my um, life that I've had a chance, no matter where I've worked or served in a church, to actually openly and proudly affirm pride. So I am so grateful for this place and for each and every one of you. God bless you. Oh, okay. You wanted to? Okay. My bad. I got you. I'm sorry. Okay. They told me to keep it, you know, to keep it short for the parade, but maybe not that short. So anyone who knows me knows that I don't care for most reality competition shows. I've seen a little bit of Survivor. Every now and again, I'll watch American Ninja Warrior, kind of to live out my alternate universe fantasies of actually being athletic. But my partner recently introduced me to an oldie but goodie show. It's one still airing, and it is a reality competition show. And I admit, it's been really keeping me invested thus far, because we started from season one, episode one. That show is The Amazing Race. So if you've never seen the show, it's not too difficult to understand. Pairs of folk work together to traverse the globe. They visit no fewer than six different countries with no discernible pattern to the order. They complete tasks at popular locations in said country, but without cell phones, no money of their own, no prepped and prepared meals, no guide, no translator, and especially no luxury accommodations. The pairs travel by airplane and boat and train and bike and foot from country to country, never really knowing just how much further the journey would take them or how far they had to keep moving until the next rest stop. It, it, it really becomes a struggle for them to figure out how much can I give, how much can I do as I keep moving forward on my journey. I mean, honestly, there's some struggle along the way, too. It's not just sightseeing and traveling. One minute they're bungee jumping into canyons, the next they're diving into caves, and then they're walking in literal pits of tigers, then they're uh, scaling a glacier. So for me, it's one thing to complete these tasks, which most of which I never could do. But what gets me is when you don't even know the task until it is ahead of you and it's time to do it. There's no way to prep. There's no planning ahead. There's no hints on what's to come. But if they are to complete their journey, they must take whatever comes their way, lest they be eliminated at the next rest point. And to be honest, if that whole setup isn't a giant metaphor for the life of Paul the Apostle, I really don't know what is. Paul was on his own amazing race, if you will. Now, bear with me. I know it's not very exciting to talk about Paul, of all people, on Pride Sunday. <laughs> of all people. But stick with me. So he writes to the Philippians of the church in Philippi, as you read. He says, I have not reached my goal, and I'm not perfect, but Christ has taken a hold of me. So I keep on running and struggling to take hold of the prize. My friends, I, I don't feel like I've already arrived, but I forget what is behind, and I struggle for what is ahead. I run towards the goal so that I can win the prize of being called to heaven. Some of my K uh, King James Version Bible readers and those who grew up in church may 
know this is the text of pressing towards the mark, right? Towards the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Paul, in his own amazing race, knows about amazing struggle as well. From being arrested multiple times, to witnessing an execution, to studying intensely to become a Pharisee, from his own head trauma and temporary blindness, traveling from place to place to place around the Mediterranean and slightly further, establishing church communities, then managing their conflicts from afar, being shipwrecked, and even bitten by a poisonous snake. Now, if we're honest, maybe you've begun to recognize that this struggle on a journey and not knowing what comes next is not just Paul's testimony, but also our own stories about the uncertainty of the journey that we must go on. Maybe not the snake part, but some of the other parts. The reality is we never really know what life brings us, but we are simply expected to move from one place to the next, one season to the next, one situation to the next, one issue, conflict, concern, struggle to the next, never really knowing what's coming and what quantity and how frequently, never fully prepared for what's coming, never feeling guaranteed about the next struggle in this thing we call life, but ever moving forward, hoping to get to a place of a little bit of rest some peace, just a a smidge of stability, just for a while. We move in this thing called life from laughter to tears and anger and shame and true love to utter, utter heartbreak and every other emotion, situation, and conflict in between. That's what inspires the psalmists and musicians and authors that uh, write and compose the very songs and literature we love. It's the very idea of this journey of the thing called life. The struggle on every side, but as we go through it, we learn that we must endure and adapt. Like the contestants on The Amazing Race and Paul on his missionary voyages, we learn that no matter the journey, whether it's a life journey, a faith journey, a coming out journey, or any other journey, we know it requires pivots, changes, and adjustments. Think about how many scriptures talk of newness and change from the Pentateuch to the prophets and even Paul and Jesus. It's all about endurance and change and growth and long suffering. And then they have the audacity to tag on the end, fear not, be of good courage. Even Jesus told a, a, a person who was disabled, just take up your bed and walk. Lazarus, you're dead, but come about the grave. I know you're rich, but just drop everything and come follow me. In other words, I I see your struggle, but let's go. You died, but we'll deal with that. We've got to move on. Life stinks. Deal with it. Not the most comfort we'd expect from a savior. But even in the amazing race, there were obvious times when folks had to deal and move on. They literally are crying and screaming and shaking in fear and vomiting and bandaging wounds and stitching themselves up. They close their eyes and grit their teeth and they march on. We too know what it's like when this life journey gets tough. We often feel like we eventually have to get with it or get lost, get right or get left, get it together or get left behind. Even consultants and researchers like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross have charted our adaptation to grief, not just death, but other major life changes on a curve. 
with various ends, inserts like denial and resistance and anger that we have to work through. Why? Because we're expected eventually to get to acceptance. But all these models were made with time as the x-axis, or in other words, they assumed that over whatever uncertain amount of time, life moves on, and so will you. So what do we do with this? Knowing this journey of life, our, our faith walk, our coming out journey, whatever our story is, has no guaranteed happy ending, and definitely no easy path ahead of us. How do we keep moving forward, unsure of what's next, without running out of steam, giving up, or just checking out? This is where I believe a rarely discussed but great exemplar of marching on can help. Apollos. Apollos, who knew on his journey when to stop and when to go. His brief story gives us just a clue on how to endure as we march on physically in the pride parade in about an hour, and also as we march on in life's many journeys. So, what do you do? First, we need to know when to stop. That means stopping to reflect like Apollos. In verse 24 of the Acts passage, it's clear that Apollos was talented and knowledgeable. In fact, the text shares that he knew a lot, much, it says, about the Lord's way. Likely, he was a disciple of John the Baptist, but he had a very obvious gap in knowledge. And it seems kind of important because in the middle of this passage about spreading the gospel about Jesus, he knew nothing about Jesus. But before I can pick on Apollos, we have to respect that eventual acknowledgement of a lack of knowledge. Or should I say that the knowledge was updated and he finally caught up? See, some may remember my last sermon in this very space entitled Both And, where I started by sharing how my elementary school science education will really not suffice some 25 years later. And it's no different from Apollos, who's a beginner in education into John the Baptist. He knows much about John, but to be honest, it would not suffice some time later after the birth, the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus, whose message was spreading fast. Apollo was great, but he wasn't flawless. Smart, but he didn't know it all. And he recognized that. Even Paul, beginning in the Philippians passage, acknowledged that he's not perfect, which we definitely know. I mean, there's a whole murdering people kind of thing in Paul's life, but we'll talk about that another Sunday. And it seems so basic to us that there's been some research debate, though, around persons with a lack of self-awareness and how much of us really are less self-aware than we think. Too caught up in our own ego ignorant to our own biases, and sometimes honestly too scared to do the work of self-reflection, afraid of what we may find if we dug a little bit deeper. So my question is, who today has that righteous courage and will to actually stop and think about our own self-improvement? Yes, you're great in so many ways, but what can you glean from a little more self-awareness? I often think about this church and its rich history of supporting, welcoming, and affirming our LGBTQ plus siblings. But a church-wide statement 20 plus years ago will not suffice now. 
We must reflect individually and collectively on where we can still improve, and it takes a collective self-awareness to get us there. Even your supportive, welcoming, and affirming clergy attended a fantastic presentation last week together to keep ourselves up to date on the LGBTQ plus community issues as it relates to church. We were all in there with, I don't even know how many degrees we have all together, but we're in there taking notes, asking questions, and reflecting together because language and data is ever evolving. And before we can march on in this journey of faith, we too must stop and reflect. Where are you and I and us needing to reflect? What, what would just a little bit of stopping and doing some introspection reveal? What areas of growth are an opportunity before us? If we think we'll just keep on moving forward and marching on, going on and making the journey, we're going to be in for a tough lesson. Because sometimes, church, we must be like Apollos. We must stop and reflect on our own shortcomings, gaps in our own knowledge and our own places for growth. Sometimes we must stop and reflect. If we're going to march on, if we're going to move forward. But secondly, after stopping and reflecting, we need to also stop and reset. In verse 26 of the Acts text, Apollo was doing what he does best, public speaking. And Priscilla and Aquila, these are Paul's friends, overhear him and say kind of how we used to say back where I'm from. They kind of told him, uh, you need to sit down somewhere. <laughs> they didn't do this to embarrass him or uplift themselves or to cause drama, but for correction. Apollos humbly stops for a reset and a revamp. And that's a lesson for all of us today. Sometimes on our journey, we need to stop and reset. Well, what does that mean, preacher? It means that we may need to stop what we're doing, stop how we're doing it, and stop how often we're doing it. I can't tell you the exact thing that you need to stop. <laughs> Sorry. But remember, if you did your stop and reflect, you should see exactly where you need to stop and reset. So when my partner and I are watching The Amazing Race, we like to add our own color commentary, talking from the sidelines about what we do better, how we would actually win, and why we're better than the people on TV. Right? And as I mentioned before, we started in season one, episode one. Now we're on season seven. And from our admittedly very comfy vantage point on the couch with popcorn bowls, we often have plenty of commentary about what we do in those situations. And what we notice is that one thing from season one, episode one, up until now we're watching season seven, is that the key to winning is not about being fast. It's indeed a race. But until you get to the very last leg or checkpoint, it's the last team that gets eliminated at these checkpoints. So basically, we figured out it's not a speed race. It's a race of endurance. While running ahead in front of the other competitors means nothing when flights are delayed and all the competitors end up on the same flight anyway. Speed means nothing when you need to complete a task with precision and rushing only makes you sloppier. Quickly reading and barely glancing at a map can lead to getting lost and literally losing hours in the competition. 
What I'm saying is that just like in The Amazing Race, races of endurance and persistence and strategy like this thing called life, it requires a clear head, rested body, full stomach, and thoughtful planning. That kind of reset is what will take us much further for much longer. That means stopping and resetting the plan sometimes. I love how often the Gospels remind us that Jesus regularly stopped preaching to the crowds and went to reset his body and spirit in prayer alone. But sometimes he changed those plans right after. Uh, he needed to go through Samaria, for example, taking a slower route than originally planned, but a necessary part of his journey to engage the woman at the well. Paul refers to his journey as a race one time in 1 Corinthians, but he writes and discusses about endurance no fewer than 10 times, depending on which Bible version you're reading. And in this capitalistic society that views people as commodified laborers, we struggle with the idea of resetting the body and mind. We, we, we feel guilty to take a nap. We feel like going to the doctor is more of a hassle than ignoring long-term pain. We feel like a bad employee for taking our earned time off. We feel like our mentality has to be on the grind and at the plow 24-7 or we'll be viewed as lazy. And we feel like we have to earn vacations and rest. We're so hesitant to stop and reset. But we're no good to ourselves or anyone else if we don't. And let me note here that even Aquila and Priscilla also had to stop and reset. They changed whatever plans they had in their life and profession of tent making to invite a total stranger into their home and teach him a better way. That was their version of a stop and reset as well. In other words, sometimes on this journey, you need to stop and reset or else you will burn out. This is especially true for my marginalized and oppressed siblings. We can't keep taking in the news of every traumatic murder of a trans woman or back-to-back -back legislation around our rights as anyone who is not a cis man or even back-to-back -back stories about awful reactions to someone's coming out or keeping up with every police murder and mass shooting in our schools or read every way our earth and people are literally dying from climate events. It's too much. And be clear, I'm not saying we don't need this information, but for all of us, sometimes you need to reset. We just sang along and prayed, Lord, revive us again, but haven't even stopped long enough for it to happen. Stop and reset. And that looks different for all of us, depending on where we are on the journey. Some of us need to stop and reset by taking some lessons and educating ourselves like Apollos. Some of us need to stop and reset by taking time to teach like Aquila and Priscilla to catch others up on where we are in our journey. Some of us need to stop and reset by making a new plan, a new strategy, and a new approach. And yet some of us need to stop and reset by resisting, or resting, excuse me, resting from the fighting and activism just for a moment for our own mental, spiritual, and emotional health. If we're going to move forward, if we're going to march on, we have to know when to stop and reset or you will fizzle out. Lastly, in your life's journey of faith, coming out or anything else, 
you have to understand that you stop and reflect. You need to stop and reset. But like Apollos, there's times where you just need to go. That's it. Just go. It's what I love about Apollos. In, in, in this text, it tells us he was an excited, he was a bold speaker. And after learning from Aquila and Priscilla for however long we don't necessarily know, he reflected, he reset his plans, and he went forward. He was not afraid, his ego wasn't bruised, and he wasn't complacent in his resting time. But he knew it was time to go, he knew where to go and when to go. And like Paul shares in verses 15 to 16 of the Philippian text, if you can't clearly decide how to do this journey, or maybe you don't understand every single detail of the social issues around you, but God will make it plain for you. We must keep going in the direction in which we're headed, but you can't wait around forever. No matter what stops you need to make, stops for reflection, stops for a reset, stops for rest, make sure your stop is just that, a stop and not the end. Wherever stops you need to make, be sure to add on to the end, and we march on. Stop and, and march on. Stop and and we march on. We march on to something new and we march on with some things that are old, but that same excitement and courage as Apollos needs to be with us because we will go and we will march on. You will go and you will march on. Your journey of life, faith, coming out or whatever else, everything else, honestly, is not a race of great speed, nor strength, nor skill. It is of endurance and perseverance. In fact, Polly Murray once said, what is often called exceptional ability is nothing more than persistent endeavor. I'm proud that this church could have ended at Charlotte's Pride Festival and Parade. We've done our weekend. We're done. But we march on, and we hope you'll join us next month at Union County for their Pride. See, there it will be less citywide support, but we march on. Enemies are likely to rise up in protest there, but we march on. Legislators now on the one side of the aisle are actively trying to end us, but but we march on. Legislators on the other side of the aisle pander to us with no real change, but we march on. Rates of LGBTQ youth without homes are rising, and we march on. They tell us don't ask and don't tell, and we march on. They try to frame monkeypox as a gay disease, and we march on. They say we get gay and lesbian things, but add eh, that non-binary and transgender stuff, mm, but we march on. History books that tell the truth and books affirming the diversity of authorship and protagonists are being banned, and we march on. Whatever news report, new policy, or obstacle that comes our way, we march on. So, after waking up early, getting yourself and likely someone else ready and dressed, Maybe you've had your cup of coffee or tea, sitting on these pews that are a little less than goose down level, <laughs> trying to focus on this service, trying to shh the anxious thoughts in your mind, trying to comfort a hurting heart, or whatever your struggle is today. 
In just an hour or so, many of you will make a choice to march on with us in the parade or not. And I'm not judging you for that choice. But I want you to think deeper than the physical march. Look down your long journey's path. Maybe there's no end in sight. Maybe every obstacle is clearly in view. Will you run out of steam, fizzle, and give up, and give out? Or will you stop and reflect, stop and reset, and then decide today, I must go? Because we deal with real issues on this thing called life and in this journey, yet we will, I said we will, march on. Amen. Amen.